Hello and welcome to another installment of Breaking Ground, Eisner Amper's podcast focused on the real estate market. I'm Avi Jacob, tax manager in Eisner Amper's Real Estate Service Group. And I'm joined again today by Terry Johnson, who partners with Eisner Amper on our cost segregation and energy programs. We're wrapping up our five-part series on cost segregation by discussing the use of energy credits, specifically the 45L and 179D. We're going to discuss the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act on energy credits and the differences between 45L and 179D and use cases for each. Before we get into the incentives, I understand there have been some big changes in the world of energy. Um, Terry, can you give me a little bit of a background on what changed with regards to the Inflation Reduction Act? Sure, Avi. The Inflation Reduction Act was signed into law in August of 2022, and it extended and expanded energy incentives. So, you know, as in, as, as anything that we see that <laughs> comes out of Congress, sometimes there's meat on the bones that we need to see. So it's been a little bit of a process, to, and we're still receiving information to really understand the full scope of these regulations. But they took two existing programs and really changed them quite a bit. So, you know, one of the things I'm hoping today is is to talk broad terms about the similarities of the programs, but also how they've changed and what you need to do to prepare to make sure that you can take advantage of of these opportunities. So let's first talk about the the EPACT 179D deduction. You know, big picture, you know, what makes a good candidate for a 179D deduction? Well, in 179D, it's all about square footage. So it's a it you're looking at a commercial project. So it could be things like a big warehouse or office buildings, anything that's got fairly sizable square footage. I will add that you could do residential if it's four stories or more. Um, so this has always been the it's a it's a deduction. So it's a it's a tax deduction based on the square footage. So the old program you could get up to a dollar eighty eight per square foot if you met um, on the on the energy side. It would be the building envelope, the electrical systems, and the mechanical system. So you look at each one of those and combine them. And if you were fifty percent greater in energy efficiency compared to an ASHRAE two thousand seven standard, then you could get up to a dollar eighty eight a square foot. So that's kind of how this program has always worked. Sort of, we look at it's kind of the bigger the better, and um, and the savings can be, you know, fairly sizable. Now, fast forward under the IRA, they changed it to where you could get up to $5 a square foot. Keep in mind, you're going from $1.88 a square foot up to $5 a square foot. Totally changed the metrics as far as how you get there. So they took away those three buckets that I mentioned, the building envelope, electrical, mechanical, and they're basically looking at, at, at a threshold that you start as an efficiency increase over that baseline ASHRAE standard in 2007 of 25% up to a maximum of 50%. So you can get, say you start out at 250 a square foot and the more energy efficient your project is modeled, you can get up to a max of $5 per square foot. So that's kind of how it works, but there's some caveats. We now have to be concerned of whether or not you paid prevailing wages. And there's an apprenticeship requirement 
under the 179D. So you see that there's tremendous upside of $5 a square foot. So let's say I've got a 100,000 square foot building and I meet the more than 50% energy efficiency. You multiply that by $5 a square foot. This is an additional depreciation deduction that you're going to get on your building that you would not have. And it's off of the 39-year assets. So whereas the cost seg, we're accelerating, you know, the personal property and land improvements, this is actually coming out of that 39-year bucket. So it is very attractive if your goal is to accelerate as much depreciation as you can. But this prevailing wage requirement is a concern. So we're looking at the Davis-Bacon Act. You've got to take a look at that and those requirements and basically prove that you paid all your contractors um, prevailing wages. And if you don't, the deduction, you can still get a deduction, but it's $1 a square foot versus the $5 a square foot. So what the government is telling us is they're really putting a high value on having you pay prevailing wages. And this can be a little bit of a... Um, a you know, a tough pill to swallow if you're a developer, because if I'm going to pay prevailing wages, you know, it's maybe going to blow, completely blow my my budget. So I might just opt to go with the dollar square foot and not pay the prevailing wages. But there's some projects or certain jurisdictions that you are required to pay prevailing wages. So it's a perfect scenario. Now, one caveat is that if you started a project in, say, before January of 2023, and you completed it in 2023 or beyond, you get grandfathered into that prevailing wage requirement. So we're doing a lot of projects right now where we started before 23, they're going into service this year, and we're getting the $5 a square foot and not being concerned about paying prevailing wages. That's a huge planning tip. So if you've been working on a major renovation or new construction project, of a commercial space or residential over four stories or more, you should be looking at this as a possible, um, as a possibility. And then, you know, we're going to have to plan in going forward after when projects are going into service 23 and beyond to take a look at the impact of the prevailing wages. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, Avi. Okay. And in terms of the um, eligibility you know, in the past, I know government building and tax exempt entities were not necessarily a good candidate for the 179D. I, I've, I've been told that that's changed. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up, Avi. So in the past, if you had a project that was a government project, either a local, state or federal government building, for example, the architect or designer could take this deduction. Now what they've done is they've added in tax-exempt en entities. So if you, if you are, say, an architect and you're designing for a nonprofit, you could be taking this deduction as the designer of that project. So this really opens up things like churches, private schools, Native American tribal governments, um, nonprofit organizations have been added to this list now. Got it. And another item that I, I believe that you can do is that, you know, if you miss this opportunity on the front and are you able to do, do you have to amend the return to get this or can you do it through a 3115? Yes, you can do it through, a, on the 179D, you can do that through a 3115 change in accounting method 
And so you could, let's say you missed this a couple years ago, you could pick that up in the current year. At that point, you'd get the $1.88 up to $1.88 a square foot. But it's it's great if you've missed out on the opportunity that you can file the 3115. Wow, so that's really great. So that's really an opportunity that, you know, we may not have considered in the past, but, you know, it might be relevant for a lot of our clients moving forward and they could still kind of get some of those advantages on, on, you know, future tax returns by doing a 3115 to get that benefit back. That's right. That's right. And then one of the things, it's not that difficult to really look at the viability of a project. I mean, typically, we're just needing to look at a full set of the drawings and a little bit of information about the project. Um, if we're doing this in, conjun- in conjunction with a cost seg study, that when the engineer goes out, they can do the field work for both at the same time. So you save a little bit there. And, and it works quite well. That's fantastic. And then to, you know, to switch gears a little bit, I know we're talking about two different programs here. So we have the 179, you know, deduction, 179D deduction. Now let's switch gears to the 45L tax credit. And that's quite a different program. And I think the, the, up, the more recent regs have really impacted that quite a bit more, not necessarily on the dollar to dollar, but on the project viability you want to expand on how that has changed and you know this is the credit not necessarily a deduction so it kind of comes off your bottom line what your tax liability is rather than just lowering your taxable income so you know a lot of our clients are asking us a lot more about the 45l all of a sudden because it's become a new hot topic but you know viability wise it's not as viable as it used to be so let's talk about how that has changed. Yeah, so let's, this is like a, a pretty expansive topic. So what I'm going to do first is just talk to you a little bit high level of what is 45L traditionally. It is a, this is a tax credit, not a deduction. So I want to make that really clear as opposed to the 179D, which is a deduction. This is a credit, which is very attractive, obviously, for many reasons. Um, the 45L traditionally was $2,000 per unit in buildings that were three stories or less, residential or nursing homes. So they had to be residential. There's no 3115. So you brought that point up on the 179D. But in this case, if let's say you're two years in and you missed it, you'd have to amend the tax returns. On the 45L, you've got up to three years where you would amend the return and not have the 3115 available to you like you do on the 179D. So that's a that's an important distinction because a lot of our clients really don't want to amend tax returns. So it's important usually to do that in the current year. So who takes advantage of this? It's really the home developers, the home builders and the, and the developers. So if you've got a multifamily project, it's the person that is actually building that project and maybe they've got it for rental or home developers that are selling projects, they're the ones that would take the credit, not the buyer of that home. So that's traditionally how the project, how the program worked. What happened under the IRA is number one, they removed the height requirement. So it was, remember I said it was three stories or less. So there's no longer that height requirement. It's been eliminated. So it could be, you could do single family homes, multifamily apartment buildings, condominium projects that are for sale, again, would go to the developer, Um, additional dwelling units, assisted living, student housing, 
those are the types of projects that would qualify for this. Now, here's the catch. You can get up to $5,000 per unit tax credits with this new program under the IRA. So there's really two areas. There's up to $2,500 per credit or up to $5,000 credit per unit. So let's talk about how that works. So let's focus, I think, our discussion today on multifamily homes. The requirement is that you have to first get this project Energy Star certified upfront using a consultant to help you do that who's Energy Star certified. They get the project certified. And then you have what we call HERS Raiders. It's H-E-R-S. Come in and inspect that property over the time that you're actually constructing the project. And they're uploading data to back up the certification to make sure everything's been done correctly in accordance with the certification. So as opposed to the old way where we did it on the back end, now you've got to get the project certified early on. So this was there's no grandfathering in here. So we've got kind of a time lapse where projects that are coming online say in 2023 that were started before this program started, they weren't doing Energy Star certification possibly at that time. So they kind of missed that. So we say, well, why don't we just go back and get that now? But if you have to make changes to the buildings in order to qualify and get certified, it's just too expensive to make those changes real time. So, you know, this is really a forward thinking program that can go through, it will go through, it expires 1231 of 2032. So you've got plenty of time as new projects come online to build this Energy Star certification into your project. The next thing to be mentioned is that on the multifamily, you have to also pay prevailing wages. So there's that prevailing wage thing is popping up again. If you don't pay prevailing wage, the credit is $500 per unit as opposed to $2,500 per unit if you are using the Energy Star multifamily program. There's an additional layer called the, it's called the D-O-E-Z-E-R-H zero program that also includes having to use prevailing wages, but much more stringent in its requirements. That's how you get to the $5,000 per unit credit. What we're seeing is most people are shooting for the Energy Star rating at $2,500 per unit. This is very doable. It's really a matter of whether or not, you're, you know, you got to kind of get this thing set, start right to end right. You want to get the certification on the front end. Um, the other thing on, on the prevailing wages is that, you know, if you're doing, say, a low-income housing tax credit project, you might be having to pay prevailing wages anyway in order to get your the, the low-income tax credits. So, really take a look at that and see what type of project it is and if you're going to be paying prevailing wages anyway. Um, so, Avi, what are you, any questions on this about, as far as how this is, is moving along and the changes between the two versions of this? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing I think that really the big takeaway here is when it comes to clients that might be eligible for this 45L tax credit, when we're having those planning meetings, now that we've, you know, wrapped up a year of tax tax returns, you know, we're past the September 15th deadline and we're, we're into, you know, going into the next tax season, 
you know, at the time that this episode is being released, we're having our planning meetings with clients. We should really be planning forward, you know, with them, the idea that when they have new projects coming online in the upcoming year, in 2024, or if they, you know, are starting new projects, they should really be having these conversations with us on the front end, keeping us aware, being in touch with us. So that way we can get this, you know, moving in the right direction from the get-go, because going back, like you said, is very time-consuming and very cost-prohibited, and it, it can really increase the cost of the overall construction and the overall project. But if you just do the planning ahead of time and you don't wait for the last minutes and you get yourself, you know, you get educated on these different topics, you can really maximize some significant advantages here. So I think for the people who are listening to the podcast, Having those meetings with, with you know, their tax preparers or having those meetings with their clients when they're planning to do a construction, if you have a client that you know does a few multifamily projects every year or you know, every few years, these are important conversations to really have now and not to wait until later when it comes up. It's better to have it earlier in the process. I think, Avi, that's a really important um, point because you know, we've talked a lot on these podcasts about planning. And and I think there's also a, a whole different level of communication that is required between the developers and the CPA, because we've got to be really working together to make sure that we're preparing for the ultimate that you can get these tax credits or the deductions. And one of the things that we did, if you go to the podcast website is we put together a little slide deck that goes over a little more detail on the on the 179D and 45L program that you can kind of look through at your leisure and outlines the the before and after the original programs and how they've changed. And and Avi, I just think you bring up a great point that we have to be having these conversations. I mean, you and I are on convers- on calls a lot with clients just trying to learn about this and how they can prepare. And and so I, th- I think over the next year, we're going to be probably doing more and more of that because it's confusing. And these programs have changed a lot. So, but if you execute and you, you have a plan and you execute, these deductions and these tax incentives are pretty incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I think if the client comes to you to ask about it, because, you know, it has become a buzzword, it might even be a little bit too late. So, you know, I think from our standpoint, it really is about getting there as soon as possible and having these conversations as soon as possible with our clients. Because even if they miss the boat on one project, there's always additional projects coming up for many of our clients. And like you said, these credits and these deductions can be really significant and they can really change the landscape of what our clients have available to them in the future, especially in terms of their investor mix. A lot of investors are hearing these buzzwords and they're trying to get advantage of those. They're trying to take advantage of these different credits and deductions or they're being told that they should be taking advantage of it. So as tax professionals, we want to make sure that we're at the forefront of getting these items out to our clients as soon as possible. So, you know, with that, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone for listening to Breaking Ground as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. I want to thank Breaking Ground team for having us join them for the last few episodes and uh, we look forward to speaking to many of you in the future and if you guys have any additional questions or topics that you'd like us to discuss that that would be great and you can just let myself and Terry know 
and um, we'd be happy to discuss these further. Thank you so much and have a great day.